0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sydney Coach Replay Show. I'm excited for today's episode because it's going to kick off a little bit of a mini series that we'll present to you over the course of the the next month or so. Um, so we have with us for this mini series Alice Schull. She's one of our elite team members on our team of virtual coaches. And in addition to coaching for Sydney, she mentors principals on-site in Massachusetts. I was worried I was gonna say that difficultly. (laughs) She also coaches uh, mentors in training during their year-long internship to become NAESP nationally certified mentors. She was a teacher and a principal for 42 years, Besides her passion for supporting educators in the field, she loves to travel and especially ski. Welcome
1: here, Alice. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, Corey.
0: I'm excited to have you too. You and I definitely have connected many times in our conversations around. Um, engagement and, you know, just all that there is in, in our field around this topic and the ways that it can look and the ways to support it and the ways to measure it. So um, we really kind of decided that like, let's just, you know, let's not break up a good thing. Let's take this to the Sydney Coach Replay show and make a mini series out of it. And what we're hoping we've had episodes before on engagement but this will be a nice, well-rounded look at it because you can. there's just never, never enough time to talk about student engagement. Mm-hmm. So for this episode, to kick us off into this series, we're gonna talk about some specific strategies that enhance student engagement. So I'm gonna kick
1: it over to you, Alice. Thank you. Well, the first thing I wanna say is that engagement is really a buzzword nowadays in education. And yeah, you'll see it in everything you read about education, all kinds of documents, all kinds of standards, all kinds of regulations, etc. But what is it really? What does it really, really look like? And one of the pieces about that is to think about how teachers are so pressed for time and they are really um stuck sometimes in a hole of i have to get the content done i don't have time to really take the time to start uh putting into place processes that will truly engage the students Uh, what we will be talking about here is engagement that will allow them not only to have the students be more connected and understand the material and the concepts more effectively, but more of the students will understand the content and the materials more effectively. And it, ultimately, teachers will find, if they use these procedures, that they will save time because they're accomplishing more for their, with and for their students in the end. So let's look at the umbrella piece which is really called 10-2. And most everyone has probably heard about this at this point in time. And it's research that says that for every 10 minutes of lecture, we need to have participants participate in at least two minutes of processing of some sort. Now this can go for adults or little children. Uh, Some people say that if you're working with students who are seven years old, for example, you might say for every seven, minutes of teacher talk I'm not going to call it lecture in an elementary classroom anymore we don't do that but certainly uh, more directed teacher talk to the students that students then needed an opportunity of two two minutes to process information right. um, so the the other piece besides this umbrella of 10 ten two is the concept of chunk and chew and that concept uh, is really explained beautifully by marzano in his research Uh, he talks about the fact that students participants actually will retain more connect more understand more internalize more if they are doing it in small bits so that piece of processing that is two minutes is it, it Um, offers a tremendous opportunity uh, to accomplish a lot in terms of what really works uh, in effective instructional practice. So if you took something as simple as thinking about a telephone number, and rather than looking at a stream of numbers, you look at three numbers, dash, and then whatever, it's easier to remember that. That's a very simplistic example, but a good one, I think, um, to explain the idea.
0: Yeah. But it's funny that you mentioned that, that example, my five-year-old right now in her preschool daycare, they are uh, today, um, they are learning, you know, this week two of phone numbers and names, and so she said, "I get to learn our phone number again today." And I said, "Well, can you tell me what it is? Have you have you memorized it yet?" And she said, "It starts with a two, but I don't know. I got more learning to do." <laughs> she just kind of walked out. She's super sassy, but yes, absolutely. And and um, chunk and chew was definitely what I kind of called it. And I even called it that way with my students, right? So mm-hmm. it's time for you to kind of chew a little bit on on what we're talking about here today um and i've also heard that um you know given the age that that the students are that's kind of where we should be thinking about their attention span is is somewhat equal to their age up to a certain level but then really anybody that 10 15 minutes even for adults 15 minutes is a long time
1: exactly if we remember Um, many times sitting in workshops and being ready to fall asleep Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: the facilitator had lost us in the most advanced um, phenomenal workshops that I've experienced lately uh, in some of the work that we do in leading workshops as well. That processing time is just as critical for adults. Um, it, It not only keeps you from falling asleep, but it truly does. If you look back on the experience of the workshop, you'll realize that you retain more. Right. You have to having- be able to
0: cement it right into, into your, yes. your mental model. Exactly. Um, even those that are exciting. I, and I've had those where I'm just like, I can't keep up. I am writing so many more. things down. And if I don't turn to somebody and start talking, yeah. even if you're still talking, I'm going to yep. lose it.
1: So <laughs> you uh, know yeah. yeah, somebody, um, I read somewhere, uh, somebody equated it to filling a glass of uh, soda. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only fill it so much. And then if you keep filling it, it's going to overflow. It's Mm going to implode or explode, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with us adults. If we can think about it, put, put this, um, let us, uh, step in the shoes of our students is that very thing. It just gets to the point where we can't take any more information. in. I love that. And I love the, Awesome. I love the
0: soda analogy because you're right, like it starts to fizz and bubble and you've got to wait with your root beer for just a minute and let the yeah. the bubbles go down so you can pour a little bit more in. And what you say about, you know, just the, the pacing of things, 10 and 2, I remember when I first heard that as a young teacher, I was like, what? I don't have time for for that. Like what in the world? But it really does. If I have to go back and reteach it again later on and pull more small groups because they didn't get a chance to really connect and and hear it from their peers and put it in their own words, then I'm working twice as hard so right. exactly exactly so so then alice what is uh what's the type of a strategy that allows for this kind of processing in that
1: chew moment
0: what what's some strategies that you might recommend okay, one of the big
1: strategies is think-pair-share. Now, again, this is a strategy that folks have heard about, know about, think about, but oftentimes don't really implement it in a, in a consistent way, and don't implement it effectively. So th- those are some of the pieces we'll talk about today. The um, think-pair-share basically is that you allow students either to pair up or you pair them up into groups of two and then uh, ask the students a question. This is just the general plan. Ask the students a question. They have a few seconds to think quietly about the response. Then they have um, a few minutes, depending on, to talk to each other about the response. And then finally, There's an opportunity for um, not necessarily every single member of a pair to speak, but many of them to share out to the entire class. Another way you can do it is um, think, write, or write, think. That's my favorite. Mm share and um that is also can be very effective uh, some people learn more effectively through writing and um so so that can work even with little ones uh depending on what the question is so that that's the essence of think pair share but but the points i'd love for people to think about is what kinds of questions are we asking Mm To be really prepared, it's not just a, it is an easy strategy. it's not um, top heavy in terms of planning, but on the other hand, I would recommend that teachers prepare the questions ahead of time. Um, are they deep thinking questions? are they um, yes no questions? Um, are they back up the yes no with some more thinking about the particular concept? Uh, that's the one piece that I would want folks to consider the other piece I would want folks to consider is class management Mm -hmm. Uh, if students don't understand the procedure and they don't follow the rules of the procedure the procedure will not be successful Mm -hmm. and so that's another piece and sometimes needs to be done over and over again I've watched videos prepared of teachers who are showing the process and stop and say, Mm-mm, we have to go backwards. We need to go figure it out again, mm-hmm. you know regarding management, so that's the second piece that I think is very important to consider yeah.
0: and I think both of those are are um monumental because you know just personally, the very first video I watched of myself, which was the ninth video I had recorded, I deleted the first eight in the first five seconds, so I wouldn't call those watching. You know that feeling. um but you know twelve years ago. I noticed some things that I did well, but I also noticed some things I needed to work on and questioning was one of them because I was, I was working on that 10 and two, and I had my students kind of grouped in partners. We did a lot of talking, but what I noticed was many times, and I remember thinking as a teacher, I asked my question and I felt like Ferris Bueller's high school teacher. And I'm going, anyone? anyone? Like it's just deer in the headlights. I got some kids who are checked out and I'm thinking, oh, they're not interested. They're not engaged. They're not with me. When I watched my video though, that first one that I, that I watched, I had this moment where I was like, why is it quiet? (laughs) Like, let me rewind this. What just happened? Because I got quiet and there's no conversation with my students. And um, then I start, you know, kind of talking again and I realized I asked a question, but I did so in a very sloppy way. So I would, I tended to over scaffold a lot and just throw a question in there. Cause I'm a fast talker. And so my kids are just like, what just happened? Like she stopped talking. Did she ask a question? What was her question? What am I supposed to do next? Am I supposed to talk to my partner? Cause I didn't have my clear procedures in there yet. So video is a really powerful tool to help us, to help us oh, know yeah. that. Yeah. but i love my favorite is when i prefer to pair my students um and and i learned this from anita archer and her explicit instruction those active participation strategies partner one partner two or -hmm. north south or red blue whatever however you want to label your partners because I had mine who were like me and had the gift of gab and I had my kids who, if they didn't have to talk, they're like my husband, they won't. (laughs) If it (laughs) it can be a one word answer, it will be one word. And so I had to make sure that, um, my, my chatty Kathy's made sure that they honored the thinking time of my more quiet ones. But then also, you know, if you're two and you're quiet, it's your turn to talk. So I loved having that procedure. It really helped, and then I could go back and I could very clearly see we're not following procedures. Let's rewind it a little bit. So that's that's um
1: that's a great procedure. I really like that. It's a good procedure. um, and I I think actually over time develop many different procedures. Um, we can have partner one, partner two, mm-hmm. or students can get up and walk around, and when the bell rings, stop in front of the person who becomes your partner and do the partner share. Uh there are a lot of different ways that will get people up, moving, and involved and engaged, which is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because if they're not engaged, they're not learning. No matter how well you're teaching it, right? Your students aren't with you, they're not going to continue to stay with you. Right. So so another concept I, I'd like to talk about um, as we talk about some of these strategies, right? The, the strategies, there's so many of them. A lot of them are very similar, just kind of rephrased, rebucketed, thrown in a different way. Um, but we know that when we do these, when we have an effective strategy and we've got good questioning and, and we we work on how we time those things out, engagement is high. Um, but what do we mean by? high levels of engagement. What's a good marker, what's a good kind of uh, benchmark to shoot for for high
1: levels of engagement? That's a hard one and it's especially a hard one when we're not necessarily using anything that's quote unquote traditional ways of figuring out what students understand and what they can do. So I would say first a gestalt feeling of what am I looking for? I it's one thing to see a class involved, you know, as I walk through classrooms as a principal, the kids would be very involved, <laughs> but what were they actually engaged in was the key. So mm-hmm. as as basic as this sounds, walking around, if you have 20 children in your classroom or even 24 and you have 12 groups or 10 groups, you can get around to those groups and you can see what they these kids are making eye contact with one another, are sometimes people set a timer so that they take turns uh, discussing whatever it is that they were asked, um, but you can really get a sense then, not only the one thing is what are they learning, you know, in terms of what, how are they dealing with the content or what, what's mm-hmm. their thinking around this, but how are they really engaged with one another? And that, that's getting the wheels moving in their brains to really think about the topic so so i i wouldn't diminish a bit walking around and getting that sense i know as a principal that's what i do if i really want to see what's going on in a classroom Mm -hmm. um the uh other thing to consider which is a more um data-ish percentage sort of a thing is if let's just throw out the idea of rti and let's think about three tiers and um tier one is generally we're talking about 75 to 80 percent of the students in your class and -hmm. then you've got tier two students and you've got tier three students so your expectations of what they are going to be able to achieve in terms of engagement might be somewhat different from tier to tier um Mm -hmm. but if you keep the idea of that 75 to 80 percent. That's what I want to see. That's my ballpark. Mm -hmm. Okay, would I love 100 percent? Oh yeah. Right. Am I aiming for 100 percent? Absolutely. Will I ultimately get it because I expect it? Probably. But I think if we're a little more realistic, we might want to think about um, looking at the engagement and then scaffolding to draw that engagement out of the students who are in tier two, and tier three. Um, It might have to do with matching how we partner up the children. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And um, that can be effective in uh, supporting um, more engagement Mm -hmm. um, because peers are great interacting with one another for the most part, um, and that might work. So are there other ways to tell that the students are engaged? Well, We do find out if they're engaged by what they ultimately know about the topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when they share out, if they're on topic and they've got it, then we know, oh, okay, I heard five children in 10 pairs speak about this particular piece. Yes, they are. I will say, yes, they are primarily engaged. If they're off topic, they're not going to be. Um, You know, some of the typical things that we do um, at the end of a lesson. Um, The Kids don't have to be leaving for the day, but maybe just moving to another activity and they produce maybe jointly an exit ticket. Mm -hmm. What did I learn? And then you can analyze that a bit later. Um, Three, two, one. Again, what the kinds of things what do I what do we know three things I really know and this might be a writing activity or it might be a chart activity that's done with the whole group afterwards Mm -hmm. two things I'm not sure about and one thing I want to know more about Um, there are all different kinds of pieces um, but the key is it's it's not the content is secondary in a sense it sounds funny Mm -hmm. but it is kind of a way to get at did these kids were these kids really engaged in the activity as we, um, pro, as they uh, we worked through the questions in the class. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, I, you're right. Like it, content secondary sounds kind of funny, but again, if we don't have the appropriate structures in place. We aren't asking the right thinking prompts for them to engage in the thinking and the questioning, I may ask a high-level question, but if my students' prior knowledge and the way that they've engaged with what I've presented so far is still here, they can't think up here with me yet. So um, that planning piece that you mentioned earlier and being intentional with that, I think those are really first, right? That's where we start with everything. And then again, starting to see how they're responding, what they're saying in those responses, whether it's I'm walking through and listening, or I'm looking at those exit tickets, or I'm looking at their you know, formative assessment for that day um, can really give me further light into it. And then that helps me Adjust my instruction exactly because um, it's so.
1: It's really it's both um, some su- some of it is a bit summative, but a lot of it is formative because we're always looking to inform our instruction by what's mm-hmm. happening in the classroom, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's different for different children, as I said in the tiers and so forth. But all in all, I completely agree with you. I think that's that's what informs our instruction. Yeah. Uh, to move forward. Yeah. Well, this has been a really,
0: really great kickstart into this series on engagement. I think definitely we're going to come back and talk a little bit about some other key factors that support um, student engagement and making that happen and and that being authentic. Um, Some ways to assess for that and kind of collect and and, uh, be able to notice, are my students engaged? What type of engagement is it? Um, so I'm excited for, the, for more episodes to come from uh, you and I, Alice, on the Sydney Coach Replay Show. So thanks for being a part of our show today. It's my pleasure. So audience, tune in for another episode of the Sydney Coach Replay Show next week.